Welcome to the Ivy Arts and Culture Podcast, conversations with some of the most interesting and influential leaders in the visual and performing arts. Discover a new art form, unlock your creativity, or dive deeper into an existing passion. I'm Ivy's Arts and Culture Director and your host, Phil Chan. For more information about Ivy and our arts and culture programming, visit culture.ivy.com. I first met Simon Collins through his fashion culture design unconference, which brings together leaders in the design industry to talk about contemporary issues in a no BS format. Simon's background in fashion is extensive. He was a designer, a creative director, facilitating partnerships between Nike and Comme des Garcons, and also served as the dean of Parsons New School of Design. Recently, in addition to fashion culture design, he's a contributor to the Wall Street Journal, among other fashion media. Because of his relationships with many facets of fashion in the design industry, I thought he'd be a really interesting person's brain to pick. We discussed beauty and how design permeates every aspect of our lives, and how to make the best choices to design the life you've always wanted. Simon, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us for the Ivy Podcast. Um, I, I've been following your work as both a designer, as an educator, as a member of the press, and how you've covered all of these uh, different stories and angles in fashion, but also the larger conversations you're having with fashion culture design. Um, and I thought that you'd be the perfect person to ask about beauty as a concept. Um, we all go to museums and see lots and lots of different art, and we wear art on our bodies every day, and all of those things. We eat off of tables, and we ride in cars and subways that all incorporate elements of design and space and beauty. Um, and we have ancient gods and goddesses devoted to the art of beauty, but I guess would love to hear about your experience with beauty and when did you first discover beauty and why is it important for us today to still be talking about beauty and beautiful things? Well, Phil, thanks for having me. Uh, it's lovely to see you. Beauty, uh, well, do you know, beauty, the, the one thing popped into my head when you were saying that, and it was the reason why I'm in design, why I'm a fashion designer. And I can't pretend it was beautiful, but perhaps beauty is not the best word that I would have chosen. I think perhaps beauty refers to joy or pleasure and if you think about the beauty of a moment or the beauty of something that you look at but the beauty of something you experience it to me it seems intrinsically linked to to a positive experience and so I think back to when I was 11 and a girl kissed me for the first time 11 years old is shocking it was far too young to be kissed and uh, I liked it and thought well I want this to happen again and I asked her friends obviously because I couldn't speak to her I asked her friends why she'd done it and they said oh she liked the way you were dressed and so my career path was set from that moment onwards and if I if I look at it in the in from a vision of beauty it certainly wasn't but the idea of sort of aesthetically pleasing the idea of some kind of joy seems to be what drove that experience and you know I wanted the beauty of that happening again so I pursued my career path, but I perhaps more began to understand, even at that early age, the importance of the signals you send with the way that you look. Uh, I certainly have never been beautiful, but it, at that instance I was apparently the one that this young young lady chose to bestow um, her, her lasciviousness upon. And why, why, where did that drive you from there? I mean, why? What, 
what, um, what were some of the next steps you took in, well, in to explore the Well, at the time I was, I was a mod, so I used to wear skinny corduroys, Dr. Martin boots, and, I, I, uh, and a skinny tie. I don't think I had a blazer, but I wanted one. You were at but 11. I was 11, yeah. Uh, and although I've got pictures of myself from before that, because I'm very, very old, Phil, I've got pictures of myself wearing flares and uh, a wing collared shirt. How about that? And that apparently did the trick, huh? Well, it, evidently, yes. And you, you see, I think I've always cared about fashion. I just have. It's just in me, you know. And I, I went from, from my first kiss, I probably went through a more accomplished mod phase, but then it was time for, I was a trendy after that, that's what we were called. So I'd wear baggy jeans with a sort of dangly colored belt and dance to, to it wasn't called, it wasn't house music then, I don't know what we'd call it. I mean dance music clearly, but sort of post-disco funk, I guess. And then, uh, and then after that, that's when I started to really, by the time I was 15, 16, it was all about new romantics. And that's when I discovered London and the things that shaped me. Although I went back to being a mod, which is where I've, always, I've found myself now, really, I suppose. But anyway, New Romantics, when I started experimenting with fashion, and that's when I realized the attention you got if you put your mind in, into fashion. And really, it was, it was all about the communication. It still is. You know, everything I'm wearing right this very minute is calculated as part of my message. You know, I, I, I can't do anything by accident. It's just, it's, it's beyond me. I can't. Like, I, can't, I can't imagine walking out of the house and someone saying, what are you wearing? And I don't remember. Because every single thing I put on, I consider very closely about what I'm going to wear. Because just, I'm just hardwired to do it. It's like driving a car. You, know, you can't randomly drive because you'd crash into things. You have to choose the road. So that's what I do. And it sounds like you've, had, you've been inspired by a few different movements. So when did you start kind of putting your own spin or trying to be your own trendsetter? Well, you... Good question. I, I don't know if I've ever been a trendsetter. I suppose at one point I realized that there were certain questions I had to ask about what I was going to look like, and, and I had to be comfortable with the answer. And actually, that's a little bit of an odd way of putting it. There are three role models for the way that I dress. I should never admit this, but I shall. Um, and one of them is going to be completely obvious. I asked myself, if I'm going to get dressed, you know, I sort of subconsciously asked myself, if one of these three people would wear whatever it is, it's probably okay. And those three people are James Bond, Paul Weller, and Bertie Wooster. <laughs> now, why those three? Well, I like elements of each of the three of them very, very much. Like, I love the old Bond novels, and many of the movies have been fantastic, so I love all that. That's easy to like. You know, Daniel Craig looks great. Which of us doesn't want that shot of you walking out of the ocean? With, I, with my daughter, I go on vacation with her, and I walk out of the sea, and I kind of try to swagger, and I'm like, oh, do I look like James Bond? And she's like, you're an idiot, Dad. No. So you're more like a Bond girl. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm more like a, I think I'm a Bond baddie. I'm like the Bond baddie in the corner that gets blown up straight away. With the kitty cat. But, yes. <laughs> Uh, and then Bertie Wooster, like I went through a phase of, of being a very much the English gentleman. So I had a study in my apartment in New York and I used to wear a watch fob and, you know, I've got three-piece suits. I've always been fascinated but with classic menswear. So I was very, very into that whole world. So it was easy for me to identify with Bertie Wooster. You know, he, he, his valet would talk about having six complete sets of correct evening costume, which to me, I've got four. So, you know, I don't know that I really need four complete sets, including white tie and tails, but I have them. Well, then what do you wear to dinner, then? Well, it's, tr it's true, exactly what I mean. What are you supposed to wear? I mean, Pajamas? I two formals, two days running. What are you going to wear, the same thing? Right. That would be embarrassing. 
Um, and then Paul Weller has been this sort of consistent, cool person throughout my entire life, really. I mean, he's had his moments. I don't necessarily always agree with what he says, but he typically has embodied a very cool aesthetic. Um, so it's, you know, it's been, if you, I think, and for anyone that was wondering about how they should dress, I'd say, have a look at those three. You know, if one of them wears it, then you'll probably be in a fairly safe area. Good to know. Uh, let's talk about bad design. Um, let's talk about McMansions. Oh, yeah. So, so what, like, what's going on there? And, and we see this in not just architecture, but in, in fashion, um, in, in lots of other areas where design is incorporated. So what, what is bad design to you? Well, the thing is, right, you need designers. And you can be a bad designer, but most designers aren't usually bad, because if you're that bad at doing it, you're not really a designer. So if you are a designer, then you think, you're probably thinking about what you're doing. And I may not like what you're doing, but that doesn't make you a bad designer. Um, but you, you, if you're thinking about what you're doing, you can, it's probably going to be OK. You know, it, it might not be great, but it's probably going to be OK. But if you're not thinking about what you're doing, and nowadays, of course, you don't need to think about it because you've got enough money, you can pay someone to make anything you want. And if you are, you know, there's, I'm, I'm very much reminded of the emperor's new clothes in, in some of the fashion that, that I see on the runways. You know, I look at it and I think, if that didn't have the marketing campaign behind it, you wouldn't even give it a second thought. Or in fact, the only way you would look at it would be to laugh at it. So I, I feel like we are, many, in many instances now, we are buying things not because of what they are in and of themselves, we're buying them to support the marketing campaign that we like to feel associated with. And I'm guilty of that, but I'm wearing tan brogues right now, and they're from Trickers. Nobody but who doesn't wear Trickers would know that, and I happen to think they're really nicely made, they're really good, etc., because they are, they're good quality. I could, I could definitely get the same shoe for a couple of hundred dollars less. I could, and it wouldn't really be any different at all. And no one knows these are Trickers, but I don't care, because I like them. Like, you know, I buy into that, not because it's a campaign, but I feel good about them. They give me what I want. And the same is true if you buy you know, your jeans from, from a, 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 one of the big design houses, you know, you're still getting a pair of jeans, and if they're any good, they probably look very much like a $200 pair of, you know, heavy integrity jeans. So you're not getting any more beyond the advertising campaign. So going back to the McMansions, it depends what you want to support. You know, if you're supporting a, a lifestyle which is flashy and more stuff, more like just more stuff stuck on it then that's your that's what you're getting that's what you should be doing you know but it's it, it, design would avoid that so then what would you what advice would you have for someone who's still trying to refine their own personal style whether whether professionally or personally um, what is the process that somebody has to go through in order to find that sort of sweet spot in terms of their identity and how they look and how they present themselves well when people often uh, people often ask me how do you, how do I get into Parsons because I used to work there and uh, you used to work there what did you used to do at Parsons <laughs> I was the dean of the school of fashion uh, small job it was the most incredible thing I've ever done it was unbelievable professionally it was unbelievable excuse me it was uh, I, I can't believe it and you know how I got the job by having a cup of coffee in a restaurant in, in Le Pan Quotidien with my two year old daughter at the time. And I met someone by a New York accident and ended up six months later as the dean, which is, that's why I live in New York. Um, but here's what you do, right? If you, want to go to, if you want to get into Parsons, I can't guarantee you'll get in at all, but here's one thing you definitely should do, and it will help. <coughs> uh, get a sketchbook 
and carry it with you at all times, hardback sketchbook, like a little moleskin or something, and anytime you see anything that you like, anything at all, whether it's a boot or a table or a building or a, or a city or a map or an ad or a person or a car or anything that you like, draw it as best you can. Don't take forever over it, just get it down. But ultimately, don't worry about the drawing. Write down why you like it. Write down what it is, because I don't care what you like. It means nothing to me, but I do care why you like it. So if you like a sweater because you like the fact that it buttons up really high and it kind of reminds you of some, I don't know, whatever it is, that's interesting to me. The fact that you like that sweater means nothing to me. So in doing so, you, you'll, you'll, you, won't, you won't achieve very much very quickly. But after six months of doing that, if you go back through it, you'll think, oh, it turns out every time I see something that's green, I quite like it. That must mean green's a color that I like. And you'll start to understand your own visual preferences and develop a visual language. And so then, going back to fashion, if every time you see someone wearing three-quarter length trousers and you always like them, maybe you didn't realize it, but you really like three-quarter length trousers. And that's okay, that can be your, your, your own image. Like, I don't, I don't think, I'm, I'm very against people just wearing it because it's the thing to do. I mean, it just doesn't, that doesn't work for me at all. I like people to understand what they like and what feels good to them, what makes them feel good. And if that's completely outside of the realms of what everyone else is doing, brilliant, I love it. Like for me, right, I'm very lucky. People give me um, clothes from time to time, and sometimes, you know, very, very nice ones. But I, it's really hard for me to wear them because I design all my own clothes because I like to. And so it's really hard for me to wear someone else's design because I didn't do it. You know, so I'm, 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 I, I have to give out all these rules for design. Right? I give all these speeches about thinking about design and, and what to do and how to approach it and all these different rules. And I say to people that when you see a successful person working in design, they don't think about any of this because they are unable to not do it. They just can't, they're hardwired to do it. It's like me getting dressed in the morning and I just can't do it. I, I can't not think about what I'm doing. And so the same goes for you know my, my, my style of dress. And uh, in advising people, I guess I would, I just want people to, to think more about it. You know, you, you are, whenever, if someone's getting dressed in the morning, they've got to say to themselves, what do I want to say today? What do I want my clothing to say? And it could be, I want to get laid. That's all I want to say today. And if that is brilliant, good for you, you know exactly what you want and you can figure it out. Or it might be, I want to get a job. Or it might be, I just don't want to think about it, I want to be as relaxed as I can possibly be. That's good. These are all good. But don't look like you got dressed in the dark. Right. I'd love to, um, to ask you a little bit about sort of concept versus aesthetics. Um, you know, if you look at modern and contemporary art, there was a shift away from beauty just for beauty's sake and having to have some sort of a concept behind it. Um, wh what do you think that balance is like today in terms of, you know, what is more important, the, the look of it or what the thing can actually do? You know, when we're whether we're talking about the new iPhone or um, you know, the latest uh, runway show that's coming down the, the runway this next season. Mm -hmm. um, concept versus aesthetics. Well, the, you know, I thought you were going to go a slightly different way when you first started that one. And I thought you were going to ask me about the, um, the concept behind something versus its actual reality. Because I feel very strongly that I don't care what your concept is. All I care about is what's the thing. Like, this is the table we're looking at right now. I mean, I might be interested in where it came from, but I might not be. Ultimately, it doesn't change what this thing is. I'm very existentialist when it comes to that. It is what it is. It doesn't matter what your thought process was. And I remember at art school being shown 
God, I'm not even gonna remember his name. Whoever did the picture of the square. I'm such a Rothko. Philistine, aren't I? Who? Rothko? Yeah, probably Rothko. Yeah. Uh, is, would Kandinsky be far away from that? You can, you can, I'll give you Kandinsky oh, too. Oh, see? I'll well, give I you Kandinsky. Look at that. Yeah. Who knew I knew that? Anyway, I remember having an argument with my art teacher. She's like, it's a red square. It's brilliant. I'm like, no, it's not. It's a red square. I can do that. She's like, no, you can't. Blah, blah, blah. Of course I can do it. I can. I could then and I can now. So it wasn't the red square that you're paying for. You're paying for all the years going up to it. And my feeling is that it is what it is. You know, it is what it is. So anyway, I thought you were going there. Since you didn't, let me answer the question you actually asked me. Yeah. Um, well, I believe that design is about creating beautiful solutions. I think that's what design is in its essence. Successful design is creating the, a beautiful solution. You can create an ugly one, or you can create a beautiful one. It's harder to create a beautiful one, but it's also quite hard to make a really ugly one. It's the same amount of work. You just have to think about it. So, it's like a Soviet-era building. Like. <laughs> yeah, like, well, of course, now we find beauty in brutalist architecture, but. But um, like, I, don't, I don't understand why someone thinks that not making it beautiful is a good idea. And invariably someone goes, oh, well, who gets to choose if it's beautiful or not? And the answer is, of course we all do. We buy it if it's beautiful and we don't if it's not. It's like, it's, I don't understand how people don't understand that. So creating a beautiful solution, and of course, whatever it is, it has to work, it has to function, has to, it has to function really well, and the function can be part of its beauty. You know, if you think about an Eileen Gray, functional piece of t furniture, you know, the actual movement it creates is, is just a thing of wonder. I remember the first um, generation of iPhones and you could send a picture uh, by email and so you'd open the picture and then you'd push send and it would kind of throw the picture onto the email. It didn't need to do that, but it did it and it was beautiful and you're like, oh, I love that. You know, or the, of course the famous Apple boxes where you open it and it slowly comes out like a sort of pneumatic motion rather than just a clunky, it's open. So. I believe very strongly, and evidence would appear to bear me out, that beauty is more successful, beauty in product is more successful than non-beauty. Because it can work, but if it's not beautiful and then one comes along that is beautiful, well, you're not going to win. So to me, a product has to be, it has to function, it has to be the solution that you need, but it also needs to be beautiful. Now what about this sort of emerging young professional generation and as we are taking the reins of marketing companies and as we are using our dollars to, to spend and, and a lot of consume, uh, pro, you know. Did you call yourself young then? We are. We are young millennials still, hopefully. <laughs> Let, let's hope this podcast ages pretty well as, as well as I did. But, um, you know, how do you think we are um, as consumers related to beauty, are you seeing anything that's um, different about this rising generation of professionals as we look to the market in terms of the products we buy and how important beauty is to us? Well, you know, not for nothing did, did the French have that rather wonderful phrase, plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. And even the use of that phrase hasn't changed. As, as remarkably different and wonderfully original and brilliant as, as young millennials claim to be, I don't believe they're any more remarkably different or brilliant or wonderful than previous young millennials or similar age rather would have been. If I look at the Face magazine, which for me is very much the Bible of style, even though it's now defunct, uh, it was utterly brilliant. And I don't, not by a million miles have I seen a magazine that comes close to that. And so I look at the, the young millennial, the Generation Z even, and they have every bit of information possibly known to man or woman in their phone, in their pocket, so they have the opportunity of knowing everything, but they don't 
exercised that to any great degree more than previous generations did. You know, I think there are some wildly creative ones and they do wonderful things. And there's a lot of sheep and they, as, just as they ever were. So as much as I go around the world looking for, because I speak a lot to groups of, of these, these age groups, and I look for ways of finding them different because I'm intrigued by it and I don't really see it. And that's not a negative comment. You know, I just think they're no smarter or less so than, than they ever were before. Do you think uh, consumers, or, I'm sorry, the people who are developing products and, and advertisers are uh, changing their strategy in any way in terms of how they're reaching audiences, in terms of what attracts us visually? Yeah. Um, I wish I could say yes. You know, I, I specifically don't have cable TV because cable TV commercials make me want to gouge out my own eyes. And I can't understand why brands think that's a way of reaching anyone. I just can't understand it. Like, I, 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 was, I tweeted the other day about, if you use clickbait and you trick me into going to your site by lying to me, not only do I hate your brand and product, I'm going to tell everyone I hate it. So it's very difficult for me to see that as being a smart way of engaging people. And I have to give young, the younger generation the, the benefit of the doubt when it comes to they're not stupid enough to fall for that either. So, you know, there are, there are different tools, but the messages remain the same. That's really what it comes down to. You know, and the people, and like these, these tech monkeys that go around claiming the whole world is different because they've invented some new algorithm. Ugh. Like, it's not that different. You have a different tool. It's like having a, an electric screwdriver versus a screwdriver. You're still putting screws in. It's not that different. Which I don't mean to be Luddite about. I, I, want, I think technology is wonderful. I just don't overvalue it. Um, I, don't, I don't value it for what it is in itself. I see it merely as a tool. Now, I, I also love you, before we came in, you showed us a little video about what you've been working on lately. And one of the things you said is you like to talk a lot. Um, and I guess that's probably why you started Fashion Culture Design, because you like to talk a lot. And you like to meet other people who also like to talk a lot. <laughs> and just looking at some of the previous topics that you have talked about, um, they have been surprising. You've gotten interesting speakers to speak on topics that were maybe un, unexpected or not exactly what I thought that they would be invited to speak about. Um, and you have another fashion cultures, culture design coming uh, up in New York in July this year. Um, what, what are you working on this year? would love to hear about that. Well, it's fashion culture design is like my psyche on stage. And I didn't realize that till I did the second one of them. Because I was at Parsons for those years and I, I developed this wonderful, I, I was lucky enough to be part of this wonderful ecosystem of brilliant people uh, from brands and media and academia and any any walk of life like the most brilliant people and of course foremost amongst them students who immediately become very very successful and so when I left Parsons I thought gosh I've got to find a way of continuing to bring these people together and people like Joanna Coles from from uh, Hearst and um, Dirk Standen who at the time was at InStyle um, sorry at style.com uh, and others said to me, you've got to get these people into these conversations that we're all having over wine, but they're not making it on stage. And so I did. I got all the smart people, I, or a load of the smart people I knew together, put them on stage in groups of four and five with a smart moderator and said, here's your topic, get stuck in. And the things like, what does beauty look like now? Or Vanessa, um, Vanessa Friedman said to me, I'll do it, but I want to talk about the article I just wrote, when will someone invent wearable tech that we actually need? And so I thought, this is great. I love this. I'm, I'm, I'd like to be a little bit of a provocateur. I like to poke people. 
um, to, to shake them out of their reverie. And so that's what we did. And so we did it, it worked great. Did it last year as well, worked great. You know, we had lots of people. We had people like Ian Schrager talking about is public the new private? Uh, we had Laura Brown talking about um, see now, buy now, which she doesn't like. You know, we had Vanessa again. Vanessa uh, talked about creativity under Trump. So we had Vanessa and Zach Posen and then Jeremy Varen, who's a professor of social protest. So we, we like to think that everything that happens on our stage it's probably happening over a glass of wine, but not on anyone else's stage. Going forwards, we want to take it further. So now we're teaming up with Milk Studios, which I'm sure many people know. It's the foremost photographic, fashion photographic, and cultural, really, studio space for the last, at least the last decade. Uh, they created the Made Fashion Week, which brought together young designers and funded all their shows. So these young designers could have a show in New York Fashion Week, which they never could have had. So. They have been at the forefront of popular culture uh, and we are working with them because you know we've been friends with them for a long time and we feel like their community and our community is a very potent mix so that's taking place in july but i i only like doing things that are a challenge to me so we're then going to go to china in november uh, we're working with a woman called sumang and sumang is the head of the group it's kind of like the hearst magazines in in china so she's one of the most influential women in media and culture in China. So we'll be doing it there. And then further to that, in January, we're going to go to the Palazzo Pucci in Florence and do another FCD. So what I love is I love things that I don't know how to do. I guess that's what it comes down to. When I took over at Parsons, you know, I hadn't worked a day in academia in my life. And I went in as the dean. And... I loved it because I didn't know how to do it and I figured it out because I think about everything like a design challenge and the same with FCD when I created fashion culture design I didn't know how to run an unconference I mean I definitely was never going to run a conference that's why we call it an unconference because by the way conferences are really boring so if you want to sleep you want to sleep you want to look at your phone for a while want to see people you already know go and sit in the back and have a little nap uh, but you can't do that at ours we're all about provocation and and finding ideas you can actually do something with so we did that. Um, I've actually gone one step further, Phil, now. So we created FCD, and everyone you know, is, is, is responding very well to it. We do podcasts. Uh, we do all kinds of things. But I realized that a lot of people that were coming wish they could engage with design more. They wish they had a way to learn about design so that the brilliant people they see on stage who have lived their lives in and around design in one form or another, the, the people in the audience could actually somehow be involved in that. So I created another company called We Design. WeDesign.org is actually an education company which provides the highest quality design education to anyone around the world. And we do it via live video link. So you're not watching a video like these other BS systems you see on TV, where they, on, on, a, on social media, where they say, take a class with, insert famous person's name here. Uh, we don't do that because we actually interact with people. So we teach them live how to take advantage of how to tap into the inner designer that's a terrible way of saying it isn't it i hate myself for saying that that's why i'm on the 20th floor if there's another cliche like that i'm going out the window <laughs> and so so this and this is not geared necessarily just towards design professionals but for anybody who wants to have a more design focused awareness the other day uh, on valentine's day i gave a speech called design is love and i took all of my 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 uh, manifesto for design and i turned it into tips for dating and that's what I think it does. I think if you know, if you understand 
Uh, you are your own story, all right? So if you're a brand, make sure your brand communication and all the images you do and all the public interaction and all, the blah, 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 all, that, all that stuff, all that rubbish that branding agencies come up with, make sure all that is on point. If you've got a date, it's the same. If you're inviting someone around your house, you dress nicely, you wear some nice scent or something, you arrange your apartment, you clean up, you choose the wine, you adjust the lighting, you find the right music, you plan the timing, you do all these different things to impress a person. So if you care that much the day you're trying to get somewhere, then why do you switch it off? Or why do you not do that at work? You know, if you want to go to work and do a good job, wouldn't you dress for that? You know, wouldn't you think about what you're going to say? Like I try to choose my words very, very carefully so I convey exactly what I want to convey. And why would you not? I, I don't understand it. I don't understand why people wouldn't. So my job, my mission in life, if you like, is to spread design thinking and, 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 and conduct this campaign against bad design because it applies to arranging activities for your children over the weekend or dating or designing your website or getting a job or whatever it is you've got to do. So it sounds more like just like a higher level of consciousness and, and choice as opposed to... Well, so if you'll forgive me, I'll just pick on that a little bit because if you say higher level, people go, oh... Oh, like that, is it? I think that we're all designers all the time anyway. Most of us just don't realize it. Because designing is making choices. You can design the experience. Like I gave you espresso when you came in. Of course I thought about the cups. Why would I not? I could, I could not think about them, but that wouldn't be me. So I had the choice. I could either not think about the cups or think about them. I chose to think about them because I know it's important. It's as simple as that. You know, so every single day, every person who's listening to this is making tens or dozens or hundreds of design decisions. They already are. Like what's a design decision that someone's what making? What should I give my kid for breakfast? Mm. What should I give him? I could, you know, if I'm gonna give my, like my kids, I, I like to give them fruit and they don't necessarily like to eat fruit. So I make a smoothie. I designed a smoothie that they like and I give them that and they don't think it's fruit, they love it. They think it's a candy milkshake. It's, br it's brilliant, it gets fruit inside them every morning. So that, and people may think, well that's not design, that's, you know, but design is that. You know, I designed a way to get fruit into my kids that they like and they feel good about. So it's as simple as that. So like, how do you get to work? Design your route. You know, if you want to cycle to work, you end up sweaty. So that's good. That may be exactly what you need. But you want to get there, you know, in some degree of luxury, you take a cab. You want to get there quick, you get a subway. You have to design your route to work. Everything you do is designed, every single thing. And um, then what tips would you have for people who might nece not necessarily have the background or who might feel a little bit intimidated by you know, not even knowing where to start in terms of design? I, I think that's a, that, it's funny you should say that because I'm just planning, a, I'm going to China in a, 10 days to, give, to do a two-week tour giving speeches about design. And I was getting some feedback and one of my friends said to me, people think that designers go to a design studio and sit at a posh desk and get out their design tools and then do this thing called designing. <coughs> when in fact, I, my belief, as I just laid out, is that that's not the case. You know, we're all designing all the time. So, you know, I, what are you going to wear tomorrow? Design it. Design your outfit. Think about it. Think about the socks and the shoes and the belt and the pants or the jeans and the jacket and the shirt and the coat and then the scarf and hat. And you might go, oh, I've only got one. Like, oh, well, you probably have more than one of some of those things. So just think about what it is and then, and then sort of give yourself a little pat on the back saying, I thought about that. You know, I thought about that. And it, it can be those tiny little things. Like people talk about sustainability and they go, oh, I, you know, I can't make a difference. Of course you can. Everyone can. 
think of it about it. It's, it's literally about not being lazy in your brain. You know, just think about what you're doing and think about the way you're sitting. Literally that. You know, if you go, if, like in, in Asia, there's a strong tradition in some parts of it where women in particular don't lean back in their chairs. They have these beautiful straight postures like ballet dancers and that's just how they sit. And they just don't lean back. And, you know, there may be all manner of cultural things that we don't agree with on that basis, but it certainly looks quite elegant. And, you know, it, it, that's a, a decision that they've made. So we all have that opportunity. I, this is terrible, right? I have different ways of walking, depending on where I am. You know, if, I'm, if it's late at night and it's a dark street, I probably, you know, perhaps my shoulders sway a bit more than they would otherwise, and I'm really purposely determined on walking where I'm going. You know, whereas if I'm in a, another environment, I'm very well aware of how I'm walking. None of it happens by accident. And I don't obsess about it all the time because it's just, I'm hardwired for it. What about the fear of making the wrong choice in design? So say I am trying to be conscious and design an outfit, but what if those things don't go together and I look stupid? Well, of course, it's all in the eye of the beholder, apart from do you care about that particular beholder? I definitely look stupid to a lot of people most of the time, and I definitely don't give a fuck. I really couldn't care less. So I'm very comfortable in my own skin, and I'm comfortable with how I put myself together, and I'm aware of the effect that has on people, and I'm also aware of you know, the negative, and that's fine. I get shouted at sometimes, and I, I'm fine with that. Um, it's, and that comes from my own self-confidence in, in any other manner. You know, it's not just about how I dress. I think that, I think that the right outfit can give you confidence, and then maybe you care a little bit less about the people that don't agree with you. You know, and this is where we go back to the sketchbook. You know, like I, like my my Bertie Wooster, James Bond, and, and Paul Weller. If James Bond wore it, I don't give, I don't care what anyone says. I'm fine. And maybe maybe not quite the 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 baby blue one piece that Sean Connery wore around the pool. But I mean, you know, it looked great on him. I don't think I can carry that off. But um, but you know, look look for precedent. Look for people that look like you. And if you feel good wearing what they're wearing, then feel good about yourself. You know, you and I can't make anyone do that. But it is, of course, it's all within us to, to make our own decision. But if you've thought about it, there's a reason why you like it. You know, so tell yourself what that is. Going back to the sketchbook, and maybe that'll give you the confidence to feel good about it. And if someone doesn't like it, well, it's okay. I think you've just justified uh, me going out and buying myself a whole new wardrobe. Um, Simon, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Um, we really look forward to learning more about fashion culture design uh, in the coming months, and we'll hopefully be there in July to uh, be a part of it. Thank you, Phil. Um, I'm happy to be here, and if anybody wants to find out what we're doing, it might be look worth looking at my social media, which is SimonCollins08. Great. Thank you so much, Simon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Ivy Arts and Culture podcast. For more information about Ivy and our over 400 cultural programs nationwide, visit culture.ivy.com. We are pleased to be able to include the New York Philharmonic's recording of Igor Stravinsky's Petrushka as part of our podcast. For more information about the New York Philharmonic, please visit them on the web at nyphil.org.